Going to give you a little update uh, this morning. By the way, I want to welcome all of you down in the uh, cafe. Good morning. Good to have you joining us via video. I want to give you an update on our Imagine campaign that we've just concluded. Uh, some wonderful things have happened. Um, first of all, there are more people who've committed to tithing and being regular givers to the church than ever before. And, and that is fabulous. And I said the whole time we were doing this that above all, that's what we wanted to see people doing. Not just giving to a one-time campaign, but to be consistent, faithful givers into the kingdom of God. So we've seen that. We're excited about it. Um, we've had uh, somewhere around $200,000 contributed to the campaign. We're excited about that. Looking forward to being able to advance the kingdom of God. And really looking forward to launching our new campus uh, this next year in Appleton. And that money's going to help do that. Uh, but then some unexpected things have happened during this same period of time that I want to share with you about that have kind of been off off the radar and kind of just kind of happened on their own. Just, just God doing some wonderful things. Uh, one of the things that we had talked about uh, at one time earlier this year was the idea of putting a satellite uplink on the property here. Where we would be able to take our broadcasts zap them up to a satellite, bounce them off the satellite, and once you do that, virtually anybody in the country can pick up the signal if they just have a little satellite dish. And we thought this would be great as we launch these new campuses. All they have to do is put up a satellite, and then they can actually join us live. And uh, right now we, uh, we, we tape delay it uh, for the campuses, but uh, to actually be able to join us uh, live during the service, connecting us all at the same time, and in fact, we would be able to have campuses virtually anywhere in the country as God connects uh, people with us. Uh, I was speaking to Pastor Joel about it, Holmes, who uh, does our missions. He thought, man, it would be so wonderful if we had something like that, because he could literally stand here and do uh, missions training. And be able to train churches all across America from one spot at one time if we had the satellite capability. Pretty exciting. Well, uh, we were just kind of praying about it, talking about it. And, and uh, uh, one family said, you know, they, they would give $80,000 to uh, make this happen. And we thought, well, that, that was fast. We are very excited about it until we found out that it was going to cost $160,000 to do it. And we thought, oh, you know, what are we going to do? And uh, uh, last week, I think it was, uh, I was talking to a, a businessman uh, who, who doesn't live in Green Bay, lives in southern Wisconsin, doesn't attend our church, has never been to our church. Talking to him about this, he says, well, well that sounds fabulous. Why, why don't you do it? And I said, well, we're, we're uh, you know, uh, $80,000 short, so we're not able to do it. And he looked at me and says, I'll give you $40,000 if you can find somebody else to give the other forty. So uh, this week, I met with someone who uh, agreed to uh, make the other 40 possible. So uh, that's $160,000 to be able to put up this uplink. So we're going satellite, baby. Pretty cool. <laughs> Just when you thought it couldn't get any crazier. Uh, uh, and then, uh, uh, again, very unexpected call that we got uh, 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 someone who uh, stepped up and wanted to help get rid of some of the uh, debt that we have in the church. Uh, specifically, 
uh, ones that we were concerned about is by the time we'd gotten here last year, the church had already had to borrow $300,000 in short-term debt just to keep things going because last year was a very tough year for the church financially. And I have said this to you before and I cannot stress it to you strong enough. The miracle that has happened in this last year. Usually when a senior pastor leaves, especially the founding pastor and some new nitwit shows up, it's not a good thing. The thing usually struggles and, and, and a lot of churches don't even survive through the thing. And usually it takes the second or third guy to come in and, and turn it around. And for us to be able to come in uh, and, and see the turnaround this year has been absolutely miraculous. It's virtually unheard of in, in, in uh, churches to see what we have seen in this last year. Still, we were carrying the short-term debt that we had to deal with. And someone stepped forward and said that they would take care of that and erase it for us. So when you add the monies that are coming in this year, uh, this is the largest single uh, contributing financial year this church has ever experienced. This has been a miracle and we are so excited about what God is doing. Let's give God praise for that. So wonderful things and uh, we are looking forward to moving forward and continuing to see this congregation uh, grow. Uh, before we uh, start the message, I, I'd just like to take uh, just a moment of, to pray. I'd like to pray for a lot of our guys that are out there shooting things this morning. <laughs> uh, it's a little dangerous. I'd like to pray God's protection on them. I also want to pray every once in a while we, we pray for, we have a lot of guys uh, that play for the Packers that attend our church. Uh, you don't see them a lot unless you come on Wednesday nights. You'll see a whole bunch of them that come uh, and they love this church and they're connected and we pray with them and it's a dangerous job that they do you know every once in a while you hear some some of these guys get really hurt badly i'd like to pray for them and uh, and also let's pray for pastor ross for <laughs> you sick this morning it's not critical but let's let's pray for him. father we thank you for your faithless god first of all we pray for pastor ross we thank you for his gift that he brings to this congregation and, and the way he ministers with our young people and, and the way he leads worship here that you'll touch him heal him lord we pray uh, we thank you for that god we pray for the guys that are hunting that you will protect them that no harm would come to them injuries gunshot wounds any of those sorts of things lord and for our brothers who uh who play in this game that gets so much attention in america we pray that you continue to anoint them and use them as they share their faith uh with others and protect them lord in this very dangerous endeavor that they do and use them to advance your kingdom we pray we thank you for it in jesus name and everybody said amen all right this morning looking at luke the 17th chapter Luke, the 17th chapter, starting at verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, Galilee was part of Israel. Samaria, you know, that's a different country. Um, The Jews and the Samaritans really didn't get along very well. The Jews were, uh, you know, felt that they were the the very special ones. And indeed they were. The Samaritans were kind of the scuzzbags that they didn't really like. They were kind of related uh, to some degree. But uh, they didn't think very highly of the Samaritans. The Jews were the religious, special people. The uh, Samaritans were kind of the scumbags. And they're walking along this border between the two countries. And as he's going into a village, there were ten men who had leprosy 
who met Jesus. And they stood at a distance. They had to be at a distance. Leprosy was a a very serious disease. These people were uh, shunned from society. Everywhere they went, they had to yell, unclean, unclean, stay away from me, stay away from me. And people shunned them. Uh, uh, Just the uh, social stigma of it was uh, overwhelming, much less the disease itself. Anyway, they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Leprosy was a horrible disease. Uh, It it, uh, wasn't necessarily all that uh, painful in the sense that what actually happened was the the nerves of the area were killed. So they kind of went numb and stuff. But the victims were restless. They were miserable. They were frustrated. They felt this horrible stigma. Uh, of being disassociated from everyone they would watch as portions of their bodies would become numb the the muscles would atrophy uh, because they weren't being used the tendons would contract making the hands like claws and then the ulceration of the fingers and the toes hands and feet uh, would result in the loss bit by bit until the whole hand or foot was gone it was a miserable miserable disease they had heard about Jesus seen Oh, uh, miracles, heard about what incredible things he would do. And it says in verse 14, when they saw, uh, when Jesus saw them crying out, he told them to go show yourselves to the priests. Now this is really significant because in the Old Testament, uh, in the law of Moses, Moses had talked about, you know, how you need to uh, separate those who had leprosy because it was a very serious disease, but then talked about uh, what to do if God would heal them. And there were certain formulas that they would have to do. And they would have to come and show themselves to the priests and do certain things. And Jesus was in essence telling them to go show themselves to the priests. Take this step uh, of, of going to show that themselves were healed. But they, they still weren't healed yet. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing how faith is about acting before you have what you are trusting God for. We've talked a lot about this this year. Where Jesus said. You know when you pray. Believe you've already received it. And, and then you'll have it. Well that doesn't make sense. To the natural mind. Why would I be thankful and happy. Like I got something when I haven't got it yet. Because it's called faith. You, when, and, and the way you get there. Is when the promises of God become more real to you. Than the situation that you're in. See, a lot of us, to us, the, uh, uh, the situation we're in is more real than the promises of God. We look at the promises as, as they're out there somewhere. Wow, they're kind of strange, kind of an aberration. You can't quite relate to it. But faith is when these things become more real than your circumstances. And the circumstances now begin to look odd and strange. And you're disconnected from them. And that becomes an aberration. And faith comes and God does miracles and starts to change your circumstances because you're already walking in this place of faith. Uh, you say, well, I, 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 I just can't do that. That doesn't sound realistic. Well, that's why your life stinks. And that's why you don't experience miracles. It's because you still live here instead of living here. Um, uh, God has always dealt that way. You know, some, sometimes uh, directions from God seem stupid. It doesn't make sense. Actually, the whole idea of giving. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Well, we think that's stupid. You know, you don't do that. You, you get money first and, and then you give. Do you, do you have any idea how many prayers God heard probably just this week? Lord, if you'll just let me win the lottery, I will give. 
Those prayers are offered up all the time. Sometimes by some of you. God, if you just give me this, or if I can just get this thing, then I'll be able to give. Or God, if you just help me have this, then I can give more. And you have to understand, those prayers go like, and fall down. God doesn't even listen to that stuff. Why? It's not faith. Faith is you give first, and then God blesses you. Sure, I don't believe that. Again, why your life stinks. Alright? You've got to get a place of faith where you start acting before... And you say, well, that doesn't make any sense. But these men went and headed toward the priests, even though it didn't make any sense to them, uh, probably because they had some idea that oftentimes God tells people to do things that don't make any sense. They were familiar with the Old Testament, uh, the stories they had read there. And I'm sure one of the stories they were very familiar with was a story about a man named Naaman who had leprosy like they had. And I want to take a look at that story this morning. It's found in 2 Kings, the 5th chapter. It says, Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, highly respected man, blessed in so many ways, but he had leprosy. Now, to give it in context here, he says the bands of Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel. These guys were at war. These, this band had come through and captured these people. And this, this young girl was part of the capture. And they had made her a slave. And she was serving Naaman, Naaman's wife. And of course, the girl would hear and see the situation in that home. This wonderful man who had been stricken with this horrible disease of leprosy. And one day she says to her mistress, she said, you know, only if, if my master would see the prophet who's in uh, Samaria, he would cure him of, of leprosy. She was talking about Elisha, the prophet, knew of this prophet and said, man, you know, he's suffering. Boy, if he would just go see this, this man of God, this guy does incredible miracles. Well, she, of course, told uh, the, Naaman's wife and Naaman's wife told Naaman and Naaman saw a, a ray of hope. I mean, there was nothing that anybody could do for him. You were pretty much doomed with this disease. And here he heard about a man who could do miracles. And uh, Naaman went to uh, his master in verse 4, who was the uh, king, and told him what the little girl from Israel had said and wanted to know if he could go to find this prophet. And, and the king says, by all means, go. The king of Aram said, I, I'll even send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, a lot of money, and ten sets of clothing. And the letter he took to the king of Israel said, uh, with this letter I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now somewhere the wires got crossed in the story and the, uh, their king thought that the other king was the one who really controlled all this stuff and so he sent him to uh, heal his servant well as soon as the king of Israel read the letter the Bible says he tore his robes ah! that's what they do they'd freak out and they'd rip their clothes back in that day and uh, he says am I God? I mean he freaked out here this guy sends this important guy from the other king all this money and says here here's all this heal my servant and the guy freaks out he doesn't know what he's talking about he says am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to, to me to be cured of his leprosy? See, he's, he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. And see, back in those days, kings would find any pretense at all to go to war. 
And he thought that this was, you know, I'll send this guy here, heal him, and you didn't heal him, so now I'm going to go to war. So this, the king is freaking out. He doesn't know why this guy is showing up, and uh, uh, he starts to panic. Well then, the next verse says that Elisha, the man of God, when he heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes and was freaking out, he sent him this message and said, dude, chill out. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Here he comes. He's there. The great, the great prophet's home is here. And, and he arrives. Well, Elisha doesn't even go out to see him. He sends his messenger out. And the messenger says, uh, hey, uh, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River and, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. You'll be healed. Just go take a bath. All right. Well, when Naaman heard this, he got angry. He went away and he said, I thought this guy would come out. And surely he would come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me. He, you know, I come and I can't even get to see the pastor. This really ticks me off. Says one of his associate pastors out. That's, I'm a important person. What's this all about? And besides... The Jordan River, it's still Dorkball Jordan. He says, are not Abana and Farpar, far, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And he turned and went off in a rage. Ticked off. Goes to see the pastor. Pastor can't see him. Says one of his nitwits to see him. Gives him this ridiculous command. Go take a bath in the Jordan. And this guy is furious. He's a man of great pride. And he feels totally insulted by all of this. Well... In the next verse, we read, it says, Well, Naaman's servants came to him and said, My father, if, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more when he tells you, just go wash and be cleansed? So they reason with him. And they calm him down. He said, look, if he had that said done some great deed, you would have done it. He said, just do this simple thing. Why not just do it? And he comes to himself, so... He comes down, he went down, and he dipped himself in the Jordan River seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young boy. He was miraculously cured. These lepers who were talking to Jesus had gone off to show themselves to the priest before they'd been cured. It sure made no sense, but they knew. They knew sometimes God asks you to do things that don't make sense any sense better to trust God's direction than to trust in your own I'm amazed at how often people they have a hard time with the promises of God but they they, they try and hold their life together on their own strength and then pull themselves out of their own catastrophes and and you know you know I feel like Dr. Phil when I say how's that working for you <laughs> you know what I'm saying I mean, it's not these people are miserable their, their finances are a mess. Their relationships are a mess. Everything in their life is a mess, 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 mess. But they're trying to handle it all themselves. How's that working? It's not working. Why not do what God tells you to do? Why not approach things God's way and see if a great miracle will come? But oftentimes people, God asks people to do things that just don't seem to make a whole lot of sense. There's one, one account in, uh, in, in Moses' time when uh, 
he was with the children of Israel and, and these guys were a serious pain in the rear. They were always giving Moses a hard time and always complaining about everything. And God would get so angry at these guys and punish them from time to time because they were such whiners. Just all the time. Just You have to read it. Just read the story of these guys for 40 years wandering around just being a pain. And at one point God had had it with them so he sends this, sends this plague of snakes poisonous snakes and whoever was bitten by the snakes was dead I mean they didn't stand a chance <coughs> you were over with and and uh, this was serious stuff they had their own snake bite kits but none of the snake bite kits were working and they were freaking out and and, and uh, uh, Moses is freaking and he goes to God and says God please forgive them heal them turn away this plague you know they would act up God would start punishing them Moses would step in and say please give them another break and God would always listen to Moses as he, as he stood a great example of Christ how he stands in for us for our sins but uh, um, so God says well I'll tell you what go make a snake out of bronze and put it on a pole and lift it up I call it snake on a stick and uh, he says if anybody gets bitten just take them over, and if they look at the snake on a stick, they'll be healed. Well, now, how much sense does that make? Honestly, if you're bitten by a snake, and you know poison is entering your body, are you going to go look at a snake on a stick? I mean, people are going, no, man, I need my snake, my kid, I know it's around here somewhere. I can take care of it myself, I can take care of it myself, I can take care of it. That's what people do. I don't need Jesus. I don't need Jesus. I can do it. I don't need this Bible stuff. I can handle it myself. <laughs> Those are the ones that croak off. But the ones who went and looked at the snake were miraculously healed. And that's how the plague was turned away. So these guys, Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priests. Go your way like you've been healed. Okay. Makes no sense, but they went. And the Bible says, as they went, they were cleansed. Miraculous. Can you imagine how these guys felt? They had this horrible, these ten guys hanging out together. Because they hung together because no one, it was their own social structure. The only friends you could possibly have were guys who were sick like you. Because no one else would have anything to do with you. You had to announce everywhere you want, went that you were unclean. The banishment, the social stigma was almost more than a man could bear. These guys would hang together. And as they're going and following this ridiculous command, all of a sudden, it's gone. It's gone. They're totally healed. They can have a life again. They can go home again. They're not going to die from this disease. They have life. They can date again. Kind of hard to pick up a date when you have leprosy. Things, I mean, what, can you imagine how you would feel? How many of you would feel pretty excited? When all of a sudden, now, you're whole. Well, the next verse says, one of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back, praising God in a loud voice. He went to Celebration Church. (laughs) And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And check it out, he was a Samaritan, one of the scuzz bags, one of the uh, not proper people. They're just not proper. 
They don't quite fit in. They're kind of scuzzy, you know. And but but the but the the very good proper people, none of them came back and thanked Jesus. Just this Samaritan. Jesus said, "We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner?" It is amazing to me how these guys had this incredible, unbelievable miracle and just kept going and just went home. And only one of them, the most unlikely one. You know, God uses unlikely people. Aren't you glad God uses unlikely people? Because I am an unlikely people. We're all, you know... The Bible says not many, not many noble are called. God often uses some of the most unexpected people in the world. If you think, you know, I'm a nothing, I'm a nobody, I don't fit in, I don't see how God could use me, welcome to the family. You're the kind of people we're looking for. These are the kind of people God uses. These are the people when they experience God, they're thankful, they're grateful. You know, the Bible tells us we're supposed to be thankful. Over and over again, Colossians, Apostle Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful, he says. In Colossians, he writes to them, says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. In Hebrews, it says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. This holiday season. Let me encourage you, particularly with Thanksgiving coming up this Thursday. Be thankful. Take time. Get quiet. Get alone. Reflect a little bit. Turn off the TV for a few minutes and take your iPod things out of your ears and be thankful for what God has done in your life. You know, this whole holiday season, and I love the holiday season. We got Thanksgiving, and the day after Thanksgiving, we have the running of the pagans. <laughs> the annual event all the pagans go out trying to buy everything they can <laughs> you know and then we have Christmas and stuff it's all great stuff it's a wonderful time of year I love this time of year but don't get caught up so much in all that stuff be thankful be appreciative and let God know that you're thankful it is amazing to me how People of faith have such short memories. Remember the sermon I preached a few weeks ago about the guy who had been forgiven of so much. And then he walks out the door and totally forgets it. And he starts strangling somebody who owes him just a few bucks. Short memories. It's like people of faith have Alzheimer's or something. You know, it's just like, don't do that. Don't ever forget what God has done for you. Don't forget God's blessings in your life. I'm going to ask the ushers to come at this time. We're we'll getting ready to serve the communion. And our singers and stuff come back. Are ready for our, our time of worship here. You know, Jesus looked at this man who came back. Said, where are the rest of them? And then he finally says to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. The one guy, most unlikely guy. The guy who didn't quite fit in. He was the one who came back, was grateful, and Jesus blessed him. You know, communion 
is really fundamentally about remembering and being thankful. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because we forget. We forget. We just start running our own lives and thinking it's all about us. And we forget that God has forgiven us and we become critical of others. We forget about our mistakes and we judge others. We have a hard time believing God's promises and we think we can do it in our own strength. We have such short memories. One of the fundamental things and reasons for gathering together every Sunday as people of faith is just to remember. Remember what God has done in your life. Remember what Jesus did on the cross. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Sacrificed on that tree, as it were, for your sins and for mine. The Bible tells us that we were bought, rescued, and redeemed at a great cost. God loved us so much that he gave more than his time. More than his effort. More than money. He gave of his very self so we could have eternal life. When we take the communion, we need to reflect. We need to remember. We need to be thankful for that great price that was paid for us. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross. I'd like us all to bow our heads in a word of prayer this morning before we take communion. My question to you is, where are you at in your faith? Have you put your trust in Jesus' sacrifice? Have you surrendered to him? Or do you feel like Naaman, like his first response, insulted? That such a simple step of faith can truly bring you healing. Do you feel insulted like some of the Israelites looking at some some snake on a stick for crying out, I trust in Jesus, I don't need to trust in Jesus, I'm okay, I, I'm not such a bad guy. You know, it's pretty normal to have that first response of disbelief and even insult in the message of the cross. But if you will believe as Naaman did, if you will believe like those who were bitten by this poisonous snake and look up, if you'll be willing to turn away from the wrong in your life, put your faith in Christ. Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so will the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever looks to him will be healed, will be saved. Let's pray this prayer this morning. Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. That you loved me so much, you went to the cross. And took my punishment. I ask you to come into my heart. And forgive me of my sins. I now surrender my life to you. Amen.